Welcome to the Food Freedom Fertility Podcast. Here, we discuss the challenging, rewarding, and life-changing process of recovering your period and finding freedom with food and exercise. Whether you're hoping to regain your cycle to get your health back on track, or you're ready to become a mama, this podcast is for you. While the recovery process isn't always rainbows and butterflies, it's my hope to bring you both information and inspiration during your own recovery journey. I'm your host, registered dietitian and fellow HA woman, Lindsay Lawson. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Food Freedom Fertility Podcast. I'm super excited to bring on a past client of mine, Lauren, who is a mama to be. Lauren battled disordered eating for half of her life. In fact, she never truly had a period until she was 29 years old and found herself ready to start a family. From trying every diet and workout plan out there to quasi recovery to real recovery, Lauren can now proudly say her favorite title in life is mom to a toddler and another baby on the way. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on, especially, you know, talking about all the mom things. And I think um, your story is super interesting, too, because I guess technically you had primary amenorrhea. Is that right? Not having a period until 29 or, or not even realizing you didn't have a period? Yeah, yeah. So I had an eating disorder very early in life and then kind of um, bandaged it with birth control and never really wanted to come off of that because in my head, I'm like, Oh, nope, this works. And finally, when it was time to start a family, I had to come to reality that there was a lot to heal. And I never really truly had a cycle. Yeah. And it happens for so many people that way. And I want to get into your story, of course, here um, in detail, but let's start. I like to, when we bring everybody on, just kind of warm them up a little this or that. So um, what's your preference, hot or cold weather? Oh, definitely hot weather. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I guess I have to say the same just because of where I live, but I feel like I'm such a weenie and I complain about it all the time, but, (laughs) but I'm with you. I probably would hate the cold too, if I lived, you know, in the Northeast. Um, all right. What about like, you know, your most productive time or your ideal time? Are you more of a early bird or a night owl? Yes. Yeah. I'm up before everyone in my house. I like to get stuff done. And once our toddler is in bed, it is like, shut down in time for me as well. So I'm in bed between eight and nine o'clock. <laughs> that's, that's my preference too. All right. What about milk chocolate or dark chocolate? Well, I'm gonna have to go with dark chocolate. That's fine too. All right. It's Friday night weekend plans. What is your preference? Are you go out or stay in? Stay in. <laughs> Homebody. It's hard with kids. I feel like if, if we had a sitter, I would choose go out, but it's so much easier to stay in. So I'm with you. Um, okay. And then which would you rather have an unlimited amounts, time or money? Oh, time, time for sure. I love it. Well, thanks for that. Well, um, you, you started out a little bit about, you know, talking about, you know, eating disorder, not having a period. Can you share with us a little bit more kind of about your history, um, you know, both with restrictive eating, um, and maybe over exercise and period stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So my story starts way back, like in junior high, I began kind of on the anorexia side of an eating disorder. Um, 
through a lot of years of therapy and self-exploration, I can definitely see that that stemmed from, it wasn't a, oh, I need to restrict because I'm a large person. Like I've always been a petite, small frame. Um, It stemmed from a control issue, which is, I think a lot of people don't quite understand. It's like, oh, you have an eating disorder. You must be concerned about your weight, but that's not really always the story. Um, so even though I had this disorder that made me have a different appearance, I was very embarrassed by that appearance. Um, so during this time, you know, junior high, first of high school, I never started my cycle and my mom and I finally decided to talk to my primary care doctor about it. Um, Of course, there were no questions about like, well, how much are you eating? How much are you exercising? Um, And I was definitely not forthcoming with that information either. Um, So they ended up. It's funny because, you know, of course, as a medical expert, it is the doctor's responsibility to identify and diagnose things, but also it's our responsibility, you know, to be honest. So I think, you know, it's, it's just such an interesting dynamic. So often we want to place the blame on doctors for not saying, oh, well, you know, you didn't get your period because you're not eating enough or your period went missing because you're not eating enough. Because how often are we coming into the doctor's office and being like, yeah, well, you know, I, you know, skip breakfast every single day and run nine miles. Like we're not, you're, it's so, that's such a good point. We aren't forthcoming with the information. And so. Absolutely. Well, and I think with, physicians too, just on that note, it's like, I don't think HA is something that they're very much so taught in school, but also how awkward is it to ask someone, how much are you eating? How much are you exercising? Like that's still kind of a taboo topic. I think doctors, yeah, I think a lot of doctors of course aren't trained very well on eating disorders or especially eating or disordered eating. Right. So they expect somebody who has an eating disorder to like be in a hospital on an IV. Um, so I don't think they're trained to handle that. And then also too, they're so taboo. They probably feel uncomfortable asking those questions. So it's easy for them to just glaze over it. Absolutely. So, yes. So my doctor ended up referring us to an endocrinologist. I believe they put me on estrogen at first and that didn't do anything for me. And finally we tried birth control and I did start a cycle. And I mean, of course, at the time I was like, oh, I'm healed. This worked. I have a cycle. And I think I believed that like 90% even at that age. And there was some person of me that didn't quite still believe it. I, again, it's just like these moments that you'll never forget. I remember asking the doctor, like, am I going to be able to have babies one day? Mm -hmm. That's always been something that I've wanted. And he basically told me like, yes, like this shows that you can have a cycle, but don't wait forever to get help indicating that I might need fertility treatment possibly to get pregnant, even, you know, telling an 18 year old that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. And that's a lot to take in as an 18 year old. Um, I think it's good, you know, that it was in the back of your mind about families. Cause I know like at that age, that's not something I cared about. Right. Like, I don't know if that would have been make or break for me, but it's good that you were, you know, asking those questions so young. 
I correlated like, okay, I know you have to have this to have babies. And is there something like, have I, I just felt this intense guilt. Like I have ruined my body forever. And now this is a consequence that I'm going to have to live with. Yeah. Yeah. That's a a lot. And a lot of, a lot of guilt. And I know I can relate. I know so many listeners can relate to that. What did you do from there? Is that when you decided, you know, you needed to get help and get better or did your eating disorder get worse? What happened from here? So from there, I kind of lived in this, like going back and forth of dieting, exercising for years, honestly, until, um, I got married really. So all of college, I kind of spent, you know, trying whatever new diet was out there, trying whatever new workout was out there. Never fully. I tried coming off the pill once I went off for about two months and nothing happened and it made me scared. I was like, Oh, nope. Got to get back on, got to get back on. So I never really gave my body a chance to try to regulate and I would say that I spent, you know, the next 10 years still working out five to six days a week. Um, always, even if I wasn't macro or calorie counting or whatever, you know, the diet was at the time, I always still in the back of my head had a plan for what I was eating that day. Um, just like I never had a day where I didn't worry about movement or food or intake. Yeah. Did, did you ever feel like that wasn't normal or did you just feel like you were doing, you were living a normal life? I think I absolutely felt like it wasn't normal because I was surrounded by people who didn't have any like attachment to food or any attachment to exercise. It's like, Oh, cool. I made it to the gym twice a week this week. And like, for me, that would have been a horrible week and I would have been freaking out. So, um, I, for me, I set my standard as like, oh, I'm okay. Like for me, but whenever I looked at myself and surrounded myself with other people, I was like, this isn't normal. Like in college, when people can just go out and, you know, drink and eat pizza and the next day not have any guilt. Like if I did that the next day, I didn't eat Mm. and I went out and ran, you know, it's, um, just seeing the guilt that I had, whereas other people didn't have that was very eye-opening, but I wasn't ready to face it yet. There was nothing on the line at the time. Okay. Nothing pressing. Okay. And then, so when did that change for you? That definitely started to change whenever I got married and then hit full force once we were like, okay, we're going to want to start a family soon. So I think with getting married, it became more apparent to me because my husband doesn't have like, you know, if he works out, that's great. If he eats pizza, that's great. If he eats a salad, that's fine. You know, like, and so to understand what I was going through first off is difficult, but then I could see his frustration in, oh, we had plans, the plans changed. And now I'm freaking out because I didn't, for instance, like if we were going to stay home and I knew exactly what we were going to have for dinner, but then friends invited us to go do something. 
well, that could send me down a complete downward spiral because that is not what I had accounted for or going on vacation. Like heaven forbid, I didn't have every restaurant that we were going to eat at for a week planned out. Cause I had looked at the menu. Um, so I could see his fatigue and his frustration with that. And I also started having more of this desire to just not care and go with the flow a little bit more. Um, and then also whenever we hit, so like some fall of 2018, we knew 2019 was probably the year we wanted to try to have a baby. And I knew like, it just hit me like a pound of bricks that I had to come off the pill and I had to just start doing the work. Yeah. Yeah. I think that getting married and living with someone and seeing their relationship with food, it sounds like your husband has a very neutral and very healthy relationship with food. I think seeing that, and then also seeing how maybe before marriage, your habits only affected you in your life, but then seeing it affect someone else can be really eye-opening and hopefully motivating because disordered eating and eating disorders can be super stressful on relationships. So I mean, I love that. And I think that that could be a turning point um, in a good way for a lot of people. And so you come off the pill, you guys are ready to start this new fertility journey. What happens next? That is, I actually had what now I believe was a withdrawal bleed for like two, maybe three months. So at first I was like, oh my gosh, it's okay. And we weren't trying yet, but you know. And this was a- a withdrawal bleed from like Provera or, or what do you mean? Well, I think just from coming off the pill. Oh, okay. Uh, oh yeah. Okay. Some, like withdrawal bleeds. Right. And so I had like two of those and then it was like crickets, nothing happened. And I was like, okay, I'm going to give my body just a little bit of time. My annual visit with my OB was coming up in December. And So I went to that appointment and I explained everything to her and she set me up like with no explanation. Again, we're kind of talking about doctors here and just like, I'm a physical therapist and I would say there's good PTs and bad PTs. Like, I think there's good doctors and maybe some doctors who don't emotionally understand or can't emotionally be there for 100%. Yes. Um, So I was definitely with a doctor who could not be there for me emotionally. And she just set me up to do an ultrasound. So a week later I go in for the ultrasound and I fit two out of three criteria for PCOS. So I have irregular cycles and they found cysts on my ovaries. I had never heard of PCOS before, never crossed my radar. And she handed me a prescription for metformin and told me if my cycles were not regular in six months to come back. Wow. So, and that was a very quick appointment. I felt, I quickly went down that like Google rabbit hole of PCOS, right? So I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I have this lean PCOS. I've done this to myself what else can I do? Oh, I can go gluten-free. I can go dairy-free. I can do all these things. Um, but I also found the diagnosis of HA at the same time, but 
I think for me, HA was like, I knew I had HA, like I knew it, but one, I didn't want to come to terms with that's what I had. I was like, no, but PCOS is a definitive diagnosis. We have information on how to treat it. You know, that's what the doctor said I had, but HA definitely spoke to me more. Um, so I definitely metformin did not help me. My cycle still (laughs) did not come back. Um, and the more I started digging into HA and kind of trying to figure out, okay, how can I set my body best up to try to get these cycles back? I had found a program like exercise program that was going to focus on like trying to conceive through like postpartum. And one of the things she talked about was for hormone health, like not to be working out more than four to five hours a week, which to some may sound like a lot still, but for me, I was like, Oh, well, I work out like six or seven. So which is such a good point because regardless Mm -hmm. of whether you have HA or not, like working out, I mean, I remember at one point my mom was like, Lindsay, you work out more, like you work out, like it's a job. Like you, like, if you have that much time to work out, you should have a part-time job. Um, and I mean, it didn't really seem like that big of a deal to me, but now being recovered, I'm like, yeah, working out seven to 10 hours a week is insane. Um, and I love that, that program HA aside, nothing about HA. It was saying that like, that might be too much exercise for fertility, regardless of what's going on with you. But again, I wasn't getting a cycle. So I called my doctor back. I'm like, okay, it's been like a month, two months, but I'm not, you know, type A personality. I'm not getting a cycle. And what else can there be? Well, they wouldn't make me an appointment. Um, The nurse was just like, give it a couple more months and then come back. So being the type A that I am, I'm like, okay, I'm over this doctor. (laughs) We've got to do something else. I'm ready to have a baby yesterday. And that is not happening right now. So I started kind of talking to people about like who they use, um, but also actually started a period. So I think just through like, and this was so I started that workout program, decreasing my exercise, I believe like in January. So my first period was in February and, um, but at the same time I had called a different doctor. I was going to decided to try out a midwife and it was going to take a couple weeks to get in. Well, then I went several, 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 several weeks without another cycle. So whenever I had seen her, it was like, okay, I'd had this one period, but now it's 65 days later and I haven't had another period and I'm tracking for ovulation and I'm like seeing signs, but then nothing's actually mm-hmm. happening. Um, and this is where I would definitely tell people like find a provider that you just mesh with and you love because my midwife is like our family's little angel. Like I love her to death. Um, and she was the first physician to ever bring up my weight. Wow. She said, you know, yes, you did have cysts. And she said, so, you know, there's that, but cysts can kind of come and go. 
and you do have irregular cycles. So I can see why she put you on the metformin and gave you the diagnosis of PCOS. But she's like, how much are you working out? Like, how much are you eating? Could you step that up? Their practice, um, another doctor who worked with a lot of like female athletes kind of gave them, oh, and I, I don't technically agree with this, but it's something at least, right? So like a weight, a healthy BMI mm-hmm. for fertility. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a big fan of BMI, but at least that brings awareness, right? To yeah. weight. And, and for oh, context, ahead. for context, without saying, you know, exact numbers were when she, so you said she's the first physician that brought weight up that like weight, maybe our weight wasn't in a healthy place for fertility in that you were not, um, you might've been underweight for your body. Were you, were you technically underweight or were you more of a normal BMI at this point? So I was more at like a normal BMI. Like if someone just passed me on the street, they wouldn't be like, Oh, she has right an eating disorder, they would just be like, she's a, you know, fit person, a right. lean, like a petite female. Um, so I would say I was kind of on that, like lower normal, normal. BMI yeah. side. Okay. Yeah, for okay. sure. So nothing like glaring at this point, but she also gave me some homework on like, I think with HA people think food and working out, but there's also the stress component of it too. And just having that moment and then giving my body some love and some nourishment and being like, okay, well, even if we decide to do these drugs to get pregnant, I might need more food. My body might need more rest and giving it that and just feeling at ease with a plan and knowing like, okay, we can do this. I think just gave my body the feeling that like, this is safe. Like we can do this and we can have a baby. Yes. Yes. It sounds like it was the perfect care plan for you at that time. And it worked and you were able to get pregnant and that's your first baby. And so talk to me, we're going to skip ahead a little bit because this is an important part of your story too. I want to skip ahead to the postpartum period with your first baby. What was that like for you? Oh man. So it was, I mean, it was wonderful. I love being a mom and we had, everyone's going to hate me. That's a mom out there, but we have the easiest baby ever. I mean, he was sleeping through the night very early. And so it was very great. Um, it was just very different than what I had thought. And my eating disorder, HA self felt like I was very lucky for a while. So for me, I actually ended up back at my pre-pregnancy kind of weight size, like immediately after birth and then ended up getting very, very thin after birth. So I think a lot of me losing a lot of weight was one, you're just up and you're burning calories more throughout the day. And then I still had this fear of the PCOS diagnosis in me. And I know just from like all the Googling that I did that sometimes women with PCOS have difficulty breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. And that was very important to me. And I was like, I'm going to do everything I can to make this work. So our son was sleeping through the night, but I was still getting up and pumping in the night. And after he would eat, I would still pump just to make sure I was like getting a good supply. And 
for whatever reason. And now it doesn't really make a lot of sense, but I was like, okay, I need someone to tell me how many calories I need to eat a day. I need someone to keep me accountable for macros so that I eat more because I also didn't want to be like undernourished and then not produce enough. So I had someone locally do my macros and, um, had you ever counted macros before I had, I had, um, it had been years ago. So again, like trying every workout, I entered the CrossFit scene for a little while and okay. it was always big into macros. Um, so I had done that and then I had gotten away from it and I found myself there again. And in the beginning, I do kind of feel like it benefited me in a way because I saw like, wow, I'm not, I'm not eating enough to sustain this up in the middle of the night, up during the day, breastfeeding lifestyle. Um, but then it became an obsession. So I didn't just do it for a short period of time to be like, okay, this is more calories. This is what more calories looks like. And this is what I need to do. Um, it came was like, okay, I'm breastfeeding and I'm pre-logging what I'm going to eat tomorrow and became obsessive to the point that I'm over here. Like I'm doing this to gain weight, but I'm over here measuring out my vegetables. Like what, like this doesn't make sense. So that's kind of where I fell postpartum until we were ready to try for number two. So about 15 months of that day in and day out obsession with weighing food, pre-logging, um, not really wanting to diverge from the plan kind of lifestyle. When you were doing that, were you able to regain the weight? No. Okay. <laughs> so, um, and I, I think again, that's kind of like, it was almost a glimpse, like a reliving of my story before now that I really think about it. So I was eating more and I, um, was eating more frequently. I felt a little bit more freedom to do so because I was small. And then once I could return to working out, I started working out and that was my sanity through maternity leave during, um, you know, the newness of COVID during quarantine, when we were all still staying very far away from one another, this crazy amount of movement. Right at the same time. So yeah. I still stayed very small. You know, you mentioned in your bio that you went from diet cycling to quasi recovery. When did you decide it was time to seek real recovery? Real recovery came with wanting to conceive number two. So, um, we knew we wanted to have babies pretty close in age and I, again, wanted to get my, like, I wanted to breastfeed. I wanted to make it to a year at least. And then I was like, okay, at a year, we'll just kind of see where we're at. And we were still doing really good, but I was, I had de started decreasing my feeds and I hadn't got my cycle back. And this time with trying to conceive, like I really wanted just to have predictable 
cycles, like take some, like there's just so much stress around trying to conceive that wondering if, and when I'm going to have a period or ovulate that just adds like a thousand percent stress. So we had made it to about 15 months. So like last May, And at that point we were just doing like a night and a morning feed. I had quit pumping altogether and with decreasing breastfeeding, I would say like gradually I was gaining a little weight, but not drastically. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, I think God just puts all the right puzzle pieces in there for you. So around this time is kind of when I found your page as well. And because, you know, before when we tried with Reese, I had no information on HA really. And then I started watching some of your stuff. And one of your um, like little stories was about how, like, if you're not breastfeeding that much, you probably don't have, you know, it's not a lack of a cycle because you're breastfeeding. It might be a lack of a cycle because of HA. And that really spoke to me. And I was still counting macros. So if anyone follows your page, you talk about like the minimum of 2,500 calories. Well, I was at like 2,200. So I was Mm -hmm. decently like close in my mind to that. And I kind of just had this day where I woke up and I was like, tomorrow's going to be it. Like we're going to quit breastfeeding and I'm going to increase my calories. I'm just going to go all the way up to 2,500 and I'm going to take out all like high to me, what I thought was high intensity working out. So like doing my bike. Um, so essentially at the end of May, I did all those things all at once. So we fully weaned from breastfeeding. I kept a couple days of weightlifting and then just going on walks with my little boy and then increasing my calories by those couple of hundred calories. Um, and pretty quickly, like I saw signs of trying to ovulate and I was like, Oh, this is going to be great. Like, this is going to be wonderful. But it was like the same thing. I would see signs of ovulation. And I even had one of those like clear blue where you put the ovulation stick right in and it reads it for you. And it would like be getting higher and higher and then nothing. Which can be super frustrating because you are making changes and you are, um, and your body is responding, but it's not quite getting there. Like there's still something off. So it just like, and I was getting really frustrated with that. And then I also like at the same time, I was getting this pull and this like tug in my heart that like, I am sitting here like, because before when I was breastfeeding, I didn't care to be on my phone and like pre-logging my calories. Right. And my little boy was small enough that was like, Oh, I'm over here weighing my food. He's bouncing. He's happy. He's swinging. He's happy. But now he's more aware of what's going on. And if I'm pre-logging my food, I'm doing it playing with him. You know, we're not having that breastfeeding time anymore. And if it's taking me 15 extra minutes to make dinner because I have to law, you know, weigh everything, like that's 15 minutes I've lost with him. So I was feeling like this tug to quit the macro counting. And then also like, why in the world won't my body do this? And so I tried things for about like two and a half months on my own. And I finally 
told my husband, I was like, look, I, I need more help. So I had been going to therapy at this point for like two and a half, three years. And it's been the best thing for me, but I knew I needed even more help, like someone who I could trust to guide me through like the eating and the working out piece and understood this. So that's when I reached out to you. I was like, I'm finally like, I want to go in. So this was man, like mid to late July, I believe. Yeah. It was July. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I remember whenever we talked, I was like, you know, my first goal is like, I want to get pregnant. I, we want another baby and then I want to have predictable cycles. I don't want to have a cycle every 45, 65 days and be tracking like crazy and not have very many chances at that. But then like my third goal was I wanted to live life. You know, I have a little boy and a husband and I don't like they want to order pizza. I don't want to order a salad unless I just really want a salad. Like I want to be able to eat the pizza if that's what I want. And so that's, you know, what led me to really wanting to fully recover. Yeah. I love that. And it sounds like there were multiple motivators, but ultimately it came down to recognizing that your habits as a mom, if you're weighing your food, how much time that takes up, even just logging your food, how much time that takes up, it takes away from time with your husband time with your, um, little boy. And then I think also too, you mentioned, you know, him being more aware I don't think you have to be 10 years old to notice that your mom is weighing and measuring everything she eats and you're going to get questions and you're shaping the way that he sees you eat. You're shaping his relationship with food by what you're modeling. And, And I love that you recognize that so quickly. Well, then even just him being a boy, like I'm not naive to think that men don't have disordered eating as well. And I don't want to model that in front of him. Right. Right. Yeah. So to compare what you were doing with macro counting, I mean, it doesn't sound like you were really maybe even under eating, you might've been, you know, meeting your needs yet. You still weren't getting a cycle to joining, joining the group. Um, and where you are today, what you described as, as, you know, quasi recovery versus recovery. What do you think the biggest differences are? Like, how can somebody know that they're in quasi recovery? And maybe, I mean, I think we all deep down know when we're in quasi recovery that maybe we have more work to do, but just to paint a picture, what's so different for you now versus when you were still counting macros? The difference is I do not wake up thinking about food. I don't wake up thinking, okay, well, I mean, yes, I'm the mother and I do prepare our meals. I know what we're going to have for dinner, but it's not like everything has to be in line. So whenever I joined, what the first thing you told me to do was to quit counting macros. And so I just ate, you know, I focused on eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner and three snacks and making sure that I ate enough that I wasn't hungry. Like I didn't want to feel hunger in between those meals. Like 
gone are the days that I eat a piece of gum because I'm hungry or decide to try to chug a glass of water. It's like, no, let's go find a handful of nuts or some peanut butter or, you know, I'm hungry. So yeah, I would say with quasi recovery, I still could not miss a day of working out. Or if I did, I did double the next day. Um, I still would have anxiety over if plans changed or, you know, oh, I had exactly figured out what we were, I was going to have when we went out to dinner and we got there and they were out of it. Like crazy, you know, and now I kind of live life more of like, okay, this is yes. Like I do plan what we're going to have for dinner. Cause I need to have some idea and have groceries in the house. But if plans change or that doesn't sound good anymore, I can easily go with the flow of food. I love it. it That's- yeah. It just doesn't encompass like it doesn't take my brain fuel like every single day. Yeah. I love it. That's food freedom, right? You know, macro and calorie counting is not food freedom. Food freedom is being able to go with the flow and not feeling like you have to pre-log your food or not letting what you're going to eat, when you're going to eat and how much you're going to eat run your entire day. Um, and I love that you brought up the workout part too, right? Like so many times we think about, um, disordered eating and in eating disorders, I mean, yes, it's about the food, but also too your relationship with exercise, because so often we have what we eat and how much we eat tied to the amount of exercise that we're doing. And that's, that's not freedom either. Right. 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 I mean, I, and now it's like the days that I take off, I, from working out the days that I don't work out, I don't have any guilt about it. Like if I decide that it's a beautiful day and we want to go for a walk or I need, you know, I feel stiff and I want to do a little stretching or something like that. That's great. But I don't sit and twiddle my thumbs and I'm like, okay, I can't handle it anymore. I'm going to go for a run because I haven't moved today. But also if, you know, I have planned that, oh, I'm going to get up and work out this morning and, you know, my husband's going to do breakfast and stuff like that for our toddler if I wake up and I don't feel good, or especially now at this point in pregnancy, like if I feel tight and the workout that I planned does not sound good, it's not the end of the world for me to divert from my plan either. And that is as normal as that might sound to some people, like that is freedom to me. I completely agree. I completely agree. And so talk a little bit, you know, just, I know your story, but talk a little bit about for our listeners, um, what it was like to join the program, how it felt, and then what happened during the three months that we worked together. Uh, so I, again, like I said, I had followed you and took bits and pieces and I feel like was understood the basics of like, decreasing the exercise and increasing the food. So I had a little bit of a jump start. I felt like whenever I joined the program. Um, and so the first call that we went on again, we talked about me not logging calories. So I had no idea how many calories were in those three meals and those three snacks, but I was eating them and I was full And then also I cut out all formal exercise. So 
for me, that looked like I still would go on walks with my little boy. Like we, we have a couple parks that are within um, not very far from us. So we still would go on walks, but no more weightlifting, no more spinning, no more running. Um, I was fully committed. And I think again, kind of what happened with me with our toddler, I felt very safe, like knowing that I was working with you and you were telling me to do this. And I was like, this is going to work. I felt like you and then the other girls who were in the group, like also believed in my body, like my body can do this. It's done it once it can heal and it can heal a hundred percent this time. Like, no, oh, we got pregnant and we're just going to go back to this way of life until we want to get pregnant again. Um, and then there was, um, a girl who was in the group that was pregnant and that was just very motivational to me. Like this works and this is what I need. And so I was kind of at that point where my body was trying to do all this. And again, I just feel like it speaks volumes to take that stress and that anxiety off of it and be like, okay, my body's got this. I have people who believe in me, even if I don't believe in my own body and my ability Mm -hmm. to fully do this. So I actually ended up ovulating like I think it was a week and a half later after doing all that. So it was very quick. Um, and I was just ecstatic that I ovulated ecstatic at that point. It was like day. Cause I had had just like a little bit of a bleed. It wasn't a period, um, a couple weeks before that. So like one day I would say it was more just like spotting. Mm-hmm. So from that spot to that day, it was like day 20 or 21. So not bad for a first you know, recovery cycle. Yeah. And, um, so again, I was just ecstatic that I ovulated like, okay, we're in the ball game now. Right. And day 11 afterwards, cause I was temping. Mm-hmm. I just felt this, like I woke up even earlier than I normally do. And I just was like, I feel like I need to take a test. And so I took my temperature and my temperature was still high. So I was like, okay, I'm just, I'm going to take a test. Well, I take it outside our bedroom because my husband's still asleep and I accidentally like turned it upside down. And so when the three minutes were up, I flipped it and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a second line. And I'm like, um, it must be because I flipped it. Like, there's no way this is the second line. So I ended up going back in our bathroom and taking two more tests. And I took one of the like super, super cheap tests too. Cause I was like, well, if there's a second line on a super, super cheap, like flimsy test, then like, this is the real thing. Right. And, um, yeah, there were little faint second lines on all of the pregnancy tests. So I was very lucky to conceive, you know, the first time and very early, um, anyone who's in this process, I would just say like, don't like, that's kind of a, I don't want to say it's a rare thing, but also remember that I had been working on recovery for a little bit before that. Cause I don't want to like someone to get discouraged. Like, Oh, I've been doing this. And she got pregnant right off the bat. Like I had been slowly, you know, I hadn't, I wasn't ready to deep dive in right off the go. I was dipping my feet in the water for a while. Um, you were definitely someone that came into the group with a lot of knowledge and you were kind of already doing my method a little bit on your own. And joining the group was just that extra push 
and that extra level of support, which it sounds like for you, you truly believe that support piece of having people that believe that it can work for you really helps with lowering the stress on the trying to conceive process. And it sounds like that's been um, pivotal for both of your pregnancies. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think because I run kind of high anxiety anyways, just having, um, having people that I could talk to essentially with the Facebook group, like 24 hours a day and just be like, I'm really frustrated about this today. And I just need to tell someone who truly understands because, you know, you can tell other people and there are people in my life who truly, really try to understand, but it's just like any addiction or any, you know, I think we all have our heart in our lives and this is my heart. Um, and I don't expect for everyone to understand it or get it. And that's okay. Like, but I still had people who would try to be empathetic, but I needed people who really understood and who were in the same trench as me at that time. So luckily, um, just such a blessing Two of the other girls in the group conceived right around the same time. We're all having babies within like three or four weeks. They did. I think we had about, I think we had like five of you guys get pregnant, like back to back to back. Like it was just like this, like little magical fertility circle there for a little bit. Yes. Yes. So, um, you know, cause I was pretty anxious this time. Um, I mean, I was anxious last time, but I didn't fully understand and grasp how my working out habits and my eating affected my hormones and my fertility. And this time I did. And, um, so I was, and it also kind of just felt like, oh, this is too good to be true. Like, this wouldn't happen to me. Like I wouldn't get pregnant this easily or this quickly this time. Um, so it was just so nice to one, continue my recovery because I wasn't fully recovered. Like I hit my top, my number one goal, right. Getting pregnant, but I still had other goals. Like my goal after this baby, once I get my period back is to have normal cycles for just health. And I want to continue to like our little boy's birthday is Saturday. I don't want to eat a salad at his birthday party. And I don't want to, you know, get him this really cute cake and everyone eat it and me not have a piece. Like that's not who I want to be. So I definitely think being in the group and just fully staying in it for the three months um, and then staying connected with people who were in the group afterwards has helped me just come full circle with everything. Yeah, I love it. So while you achieved your goal of pregnancy very quickly in the group, it sounds like staying connected was really important for you because it wasn't just about getting pregnant again for you. It was about really finding that freedom with your food and your exercise and being able to be the mom that you want to be. It sounds like, well, that's beautiful. Well, Lauren, thanks so much for your time and sharing your story. I know so many people are going to be able to relate to this, the frustrations with the fertility thing, not being understood with the doctor, um, living in quasi recovery. That was my story for so long. That's so many people that I work with story. And so I just appreciate you, you know, being open and again, congratulations. So, um, you'll be expecting, we don't know, right. A little boy or a little girl in, in May. 
right around the corner. We're getting there. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, Lauren, thanks so much for sharing again. Um, you know, if anyone listening found this story to be helpful or inspiring, um, please let us know. And um, Lauren, best of luck to you with labor and delivery coming up very soon. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. If you found this episode to be inspiring or helpful, please share on social media and tag me at food.freedom.fertility. Also, don't forget to leave a rating and a review.